0: We're talking today about how to read her mind, and I picked up this little book a few weeks ago, and and I already knew the author, and because I'll tell you about that in a minute, but this book, and I want you to, Mike, I have this slide, this is the title of the book, it's For Men Only, A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women. Now, men, I need you to be honest for 10 seconds right now, okay, men, look up here, look up here, okay, okay. Every man looked to see who was walking in. I mean, that's, that's our attention span. Okay, guys, look right here. Ten seconds. When you read this title, and you're going, what title? Okay, here we go. When we read this title, men, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Did a man write that book? Did a man write that book? <laughs> Impossible. Some of you are going, it's a fraud. There's no way. There's no such thing as a guide to the inner lives of women. And, um... <laughs> Even Freud, whom I do not, I do not quote often, because I'm not that impressed with Freud, but here's what he said. He said, despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul, I have not yet been able to answer the great question, what does a woman want? If Freud were here today, he would find out, because we're going to find out about what happens in the inner lives of women. Now, um, I have to tell you, how I knew this author was years ago, in 2004, Shanti Feldhahn is the one who did this, and thousands of women that she uh, interviewed, polled across the nation, she interviewed personally many people, they had study groups, focus groups, all that stuff. She wrote a little book called For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men, and women devoured this. This became a bestseller. Two years later, they came back to her and they said, would you do the same type of companion? Would you write a book for men and, and title it A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women? And, uh, her husband was, was in on this whole process. And so they decided to get a focus group of women together. And, uh, they ask him, he's the only guy in the room with all these focused, focus group of women. And here's what he says to these women, singular solitary guy. You gotta get the picture to these women. He says, guys tend to think that women are random. We think I pulled this lever last week and got a certain reaction. But when I pulled that same lever this week, I got a totally different reaction. That's random. One of the women in the group says, but we aren't random, exclamation point. If you pull the lever and get a different reaction, either you're pulling a different lever or you're pulling it in a different way. Parentheses, my commentary. In other words, guys, it's your fault, all right? <laughs> and, and we're going to come back to that over and over today. It's your fault, all right? We'll get equal access next week, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about... Understanding men. Okay. Today, guys, it's your fault. All right. Now, his wife says this. Shanti says, what men need is sort of a map to their wives because we can be mapped. We can be known and understood terrain. And what Jeff says next is the dumbest, most courageous thing a solitary man has ever said to a group of women before. Here's what he said. See, guys tend to think of a woman as a swamp. You can't see where you're stepping, and sooner or later, you just know you're going to get stuck in quicksand. And the more you struggle to get free, the deeper you get sucked in. So every guy on the planet knows the best thing to do is just to shut down and hope somebody comes along and rescues you. (laughs) Then he says, when I came to, Shanti and the other women assured me that women are definitely not like a swamp. That they could be understood. And so this book is an excellent book. Uh, guys, if nothing else, I'm not telling you to rip this off. Buy the book. You don't even have to read the book. There's this little thing. It says, Quick Start Guide it's one of the best things I've ever seen in a marriage relationship book. It says, Quick Start Guide, Jeff Feldhahn's note to the reader. This book is extremely important to how guys understand women and it has the cliff notes of the book right here. I've never seen this before. They wrote this with men in mind. And I'm telling you, I'm not just being silly. This is some of the best stuff. This little page right here, you ought to clip it out, guys, if there's a woman in your life or if you ever hope to have a woman in your life. Ought to be in your back pocket because this is excellent, excellent reading. So what we're going to do today is we're going to find out, we're going to map how how the women uh, think on their in their inner lives it can be understood and we could also title today's message this how to make sure your your wife never wants another man because guys if you will begin to understand her and you will begin to meet her needs you will become irresistible to her and i think that's what we want First Peter 3, 7, God's word says this. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, dudes, I made this real easy. I, I put in bold, in, in, in capital letters, the words I want you to circle in this verse. It's on your listening guide, so I made it real easy because I'm a guy, I understand. So circle, be considerate. The next capitalized words are live with. And then the third one is respect. If we did those three things, guys, if we did nothing else in our marriages but did those three things, our marriages would improve greatly. Right, ladies? Right? I'm trying to help you out. Okay. Well, let's begin with a visual aid here. All right. Need, to, need more lights up here, Jeff. All right. We're going to talk about the differences in men and women. Men tend to be like a waffle. Now, you see all these squares in a waffle... Men have this incredible ability to compartmentalize. And what's happening in one square does not necessarily affect any other square. This guy can have a square for work. And when he's in that square, all he's thinking about is work. And you come home from work and the wife says, do you think about me today, honey? And, and honestly, if he has this deer in headlight look, it's because he didn't. He may, you may have crossed his mind, but you didn't have anything to do with work and it has nothing to do with you. It's because he was focusing on work. And he can have friends and he can go hang out with his friends and not think about you. And he can not think about the kids. And he can not think about communication with you because all those are different squares. And sex life with his wife, that's a different square. And what happens in one square does not affect another square. That's why a guy can have a horrible day at work. He can be mad at a friend. He can have a wreck. He can walk home, walk in the door, look at you, and be ready for sex like that. It's the way we're wired. All right? It's not that we're these lustful monsters. It's the way we're wired because we operate in a different way. Sex to us doesn't have anything to do with anything else. It's why a guy can have sex and then go watch sports. It's not smart, but it's why we do it. All right? Now, that's guys. Women, though tend to be like this spaghetti. Every strand represents a different area of her life. And you can't necessarily tell where one strand ends and another one begins, right? Okay, so her, her work, if she's working outside the home, then her work is one strand. If she's working inside the home, that's just as much work. One of the dumbest things I ever heard this week was a political consultant said that Ann Romney had never worked a day in her life because she was a stay-at-home mom. Oh, Stupid! If a dude had said that we 'd be at his funeral today, right okay, so anyway, so her job at home her 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 uh, association with the kids her is she you know if she 's mad at a friend, all of these things are different strands, and you can 't tell where one. Attaches it to another, can you? You can't tell that they're separate because they're all intertwined. That's why a woman can have a rough day at work or at home. That's why she can be mad at one of her friends. That's why, you know, she can have no communication with you and you come home and you want to have sex and she's completely drained and she's like, not tonight. And she's not rejecting you. This is huge, guys. She's not rejecting you. It's just that one strand of her spaghetti is jacked up and it's affecting every other strand. And I'm telling you, in this book, I mean, I knew this, and I've used this illustration before, but in this book, I don't remember the numbers, but, but massive amounts of the women say, when I say no to sex to my husband, it has nothing to do with his stunning physical body and twinkling eyes. It has nothing to do with him. It's that I'm messed up and my life is messed up, and if he doesn't take time to understand me and help me untangle some of the mess, there's not a snowball's chance in summer that we're going to have sex tonight. Okay? Does that make sense? So we got to begin to understand this, men, if we want to have the types of relationships that we want. Now, the rest of this... Well, actually, it's intertwined. There's another book. If you do premarital counseling with me, you're required to read His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. Willard Harley has this series of, of mental health clinics and, and counseling centers for married folks uh, across the, the Midwest. And... Um, He's been doing this for over 30 years, and what he's done is he's compiled the top 10 needs of men and women. There's generally five for men and five for women, and he compiled all these, and what we're going to do is we're going to spend the rest of our time today talking about what women want, but actually it's more than what women want, according to Dr. Harley, and actually according to Scripture, it's what women need. And guys, if you said, I do, and she said, I do, that means you are the primary person other than God who is supposed to meet her needs. It goes beyond want, and it's not she's being selfish. She has needs, and most of the problems in marriage come because one or both are not meeting the needs of the other. We don't understand what love is. We understand what lust is, but we don't understand what love is. All right, first thing that my wife needs is my affection. All right, rule number one, guys, this has nothing to do with sex. In fact, affection is not sex-related at all. When we got married, I did not understand there was any such thing as non-sexual touch. Didn't, didn't know that existed. Usually I don't talk about sex like this when my wife's in the room, so nobody look over there. and Just pretend she's back in the back. Because uh, I can talk about it, but she can't. This is the first thing that a woman cannot do without. Affection to her is the cement of your relationship. So when you touch her gently, guys, when, when you do this with no agenda, what you're saying to her is, you matter to me. I'm proud of you. I will protect you. I'll be here for you. That's what a woman receives when you are affectionate with her. Colossians 3.19 says it this way, Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. Let me tell you what being gentle means. It means being affectionate, being tender, with no agenda for sex afterwards. I know that's difficult, guys. Now, what what most guys, though, they have no problem giving their wives affliction instead of affection. He beats her down with his words. He says mean things. And then he expects, his her to, expects her to be responsive sexually. And it doesn't happen because everything in her life is intertwined. And if one area is messed up, the rest of those areas are messed up. And see, here's here's the big deal between men and women. Um, there are two different things, affection and sex. Affection to a man means foreplay. It's the stuff you do before the good stuff. Affection to a woman has absolutely nothing to do with sex. And we're, we're trying to cross these barriers and make the other person think about these things the way we think about those things. And it doesn't work out that way. What seems to be happening, and, and I counsel a lot of people, what seems to be happening is guys will use affection to get sex and women will use sex to get affection and it's a vicious cycle and it's not working. Um, and ladies, let me tell you this. It's important that your husband understands that he knows what kind of affection works for you. Don't think we're going to get it. We're going to figure it out. And and don't get mad at us when we don't figure it out. We're not that smart relationally. And and I'm not trying to just beat men down. This is this is the real truth. We're we're focused on one thing at a time. But I'll tell you this, when Janie tells me things that that mean a lot to her and that fill up her love bank emotionally, I do those things not because I have an agenda. I do those because I said I'd do to her almost 21 years ago and I want my relationship today to be better than it was 21 years ago. I choose to meet her needs. Now, I'm I'm not going to tell you it doesn't have benefits down the road. It does. But I do that when she tells me what she needs, then I choose to meet those needs. That's love. Does that make sense? Harley says this. When women submit to sex without affection they need, then sex becomes a negative. Every time she has sex, it is a debit, a withdrawal from her relational love bank. Over time, guys, if you keep making those withdrawals, you will not have the funds to cover. Eventually, sex begins to repulse the woman. And guys, you don't want sex to repulse your wife. And so many times, guys, if you'll look in the mirror, you'll see the problem in your sex life is you. And it has nothing to do with the bedroom. It has to do with outside of the room. So, how do we do this, guys? How do you become better at affection? Here it is. A look, a word, or a touch of love. Um, Nolan Ryan's wife said this in, in his book. She said it always meant a lot to her because every time he went to the mound... No matter where they were, whether in Texas when he's here or, you know, their whole married life, every time he went to the mound, sometime when he was warming up or in the first couple of innings, he would look and he would find her and they would lock eyes. And she said, that meant the world to me that even though his job, he was pitching in the major leagues, he wanted to find her and connect with her. So just a, a, an easy look sometime in the process tells her that you care about her. A word, a kind word to her. She does things well. You're focusing on the things she doesn't do well, and you're talking about them instead of telling her the things she does well. And then a gentle touch. Um, Shanti Feldon says in this book that, that one time, and this happened years before, they were walking through a parking lot, and Jeff, her husband, just touched her in the small of her back and kind of helped her through the cars, to him, he'd forgotten it. He said, but years later, it still made an impact on her because she, he cared enough to touch her gently and help her through the cars. Guys, we don't even know what's going what's gonna to record with our wives. So let's just practice a whole lot of this stuff. Hug and kiss your wife when you leave. Uh, every time you leave and every time you come home. Flowers. Now, Janie changed the rules on me, and y'all heard this a few years ago at Mother's Day. I think it was two years ago at Mother's Day. She told me for the first 18 years of marriage, she said, don't buy me flowers. Flowers are dumb. They die. And then I'm filming all these wives talking about what means a lot to them. And Janie said, she looks at the camera. I'm behind the camera. And she goes, I think I want flowers. And she goes, I know that's a change, but I want them. And I said, yes, ma'am, I get it, I get it. And she's allowed to change her mind, you know, 21 years a long time to hang out with me. And so if she wants flowers, and, and the cool thing is, she said, just go buy the thing at Walmart. You know, the $5 flowers, it doesn't matter how much they cost, it's the thought that counts. And I understand they actually sell flowers 365 days a year. Let's try that, guys. Just, just curious, how many ladies' flowers is a big deal to you from your husband? All right, guys, pay attention. Help with the dishes, or at least get them near the sink. Okay, let's, let me find that. How many of you ladies would be satisfied if they're just near the sink? In the general... Okay, all right, you see that. Now, guys, seriously, here's, here's some books. You may want to get some of these books. There's something called Simply Romantic Nights. Simply Romantic Husbands or 40 Unforgettable Dates with Your Mate. And I guarantee you, if you'll read the book and just get an idea and, and you'll put it into practice, the fact that you had to read it in a book does not negate that in your wife's mind. The fact that you chose to do something for her will elevate you in her mind. Number two, my wife needs conversation with me. How many of you remember when you were dating? You talked all the time. Janie was in college, uh, when we got engaged and, you know, she was three hours away from, we never lived in the same town until we were married. And so we talked all the time and, and she was a very poor college student and I was a youth minister and I wasn't very wealthy myself. And, uh, I remember, didn't you have a, you had a, you had to put money on your, it was her mom's calling card, and she would go and put, you know, a few dollars on, and we'd wear that thing out, and then she'd call me, and I'd call her, and we talked all the time. We wrote letters. This was before texting, before internet, all that stuff. We talked all the time. It didn't matter what we did. We were together. We talked for hours. What happens after you get married? It's, yeah, it's cut off. Here's the oversimplified answer is this, and, and I'm not, yeah, I am beating up guys, but, but hang on. Guys tend to think of the task, remember? The task in dating is to win your heart. And without even realizing it, most guys, once they marry you, once you say, I do, they think, well, that one's done. They check it off, and they move on to the next task. Now, guys, in a woman's eyes, when she says, I do, that's not the end of winning her heart, that's the beginning. Is that right, ladies? And the happiest marriages are the men who continue to pursue their woman For years you want to be happy you want to have the marriage that you desire that god wants you to have Then you continue to pursue her the rest of your life Any i'll guarantee you the marriages that are having trouble today. The man has stopped pursuing his wife It's just that simple um, so let me define this conversation is verbal attention It means that you value what she has to say. You're putting valuable deposits in her love account, her bank account, when you listen to her and pay attention. Proverbs 13, 17 says, Reliable communication permits progress. If you want to make progress in your marriage, you have to learn to listen. You have to learn to communicate. Her second greatest need is verbal attention. Women talk about how they feel. And they may have a hundred different feelings before they get around to the facts. But men, if you don't listen to the feelings, then your wife will not feel close to you. She will bond to whomever listens to her. That makes her feel valuable. And I want you to remember this. Most affairs for women start right here. They need someone to listen. And if you don't do it, someone else will. And her heart will be bonded to that man. And she will leave you because you neglected her. Now, this, uh, this comes off of this guide, this next thing. Guys, have you ever wondered <laughs> why she says some of the things she says? Now, we're not going to go through all of them, but here's two. For example, has your woman ever said, I don't want you to fix it, I just want you to listen? Guys, you ever heard that one? Okay. <laughs> or, there's like four of us in the room for that one. How about this one, guys? Has she ever said, you're not listening to me when that's all you've been doing for the past 30 minutes? Let me see your hand on that one. All right, that one's almost universal. Okay, this was huge for me, and and this is one I just discovered this last week. Feldon says, when she is sharing an emotional problem, this is the key. As opposed to, say, the flat, t- the car has a flat tire. Okay, guys, when you know you need to listen and not fix is when it has anything to do with relationships. The, when you know you can fix is when she says, the door fell off the hinges. That means I want you to get off your butt and fix it, okay? And so you go into fix it mode. Anything other than technical, electrical, mechanical, anything other than that, you're supposed to listen. And here's why she says... What she is feeling about the problem is actually more important to her than the problem itself. What she is feeling actually is the real problem. So listening to her feelings solves the problem. So guys, here's the action plan. And, and this is huge. Instead of filtering out her emotions to focus on the problem, because every guy in the room does that. You're going, yeah, 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 yeah. Get the, get, what's the bottom line? Tell me something I can fix, right? That's what guys do. Instead of doing that, learn to filter out the problem. And, and this is huge. I'm telling you, I learned this this week. Filter out the problem to focus on her feelings. It's only after you have acknowledged her feelings that she will want to focus on the solution. And, and all of the men in the room just went, oh. Now I get it. Now, I was reading this to, to Janie this week, and, um, I was going, check this out. And this, this way, I'm very verbal. If I learn something, we're always reading, you know, she'll come in and she'll say, I read this in the Bible day, and I read this, and we're talking about stuff. So I was reading this stuff to her, and, and she's, I'm, I'm at my desk at home on Thursdays. I prepare my sermon at home, and, and I have my computer in my, in our room. She's in the bathroom, and I said, listen to this, listen to this. And I was reading it to her, and all of a sudden she gets real quiet. And so the door's open, the bathroom, but I can't see her, and she gets really, really quiet, and I hear, I'm like, oh, dude, what did I do? And I said, are you crying? She goes, yes. And I said, and by the way, I asked her permission to, to share this. That'd be so bad to tell a story I didn't have permission. I think I've done that once or twice. And, and bad, bad. Um, but I, I, said, I said, why are you crying? She goes, because that's exactly how I feel. And I'm on my period. And I'm sorry, I busted out laughing at that because I just like, I mean, I learned years ago, you never, never say, are you on your period? You know, that's just stupid. All right. That goes beyond ignorant. That's just stupid. And so I would never have said that. But And, and so I'm in there giggling. And I said, can I share that? And she goes, yes, because I mean. Reading that to her, she says, someone understands how I feel, and that's exactly how I feel. I want you to listen to me, not solve a problem. And I'm a, I'm a fixer. That's what I do. It's what most men are wired to do. But God did not tell us to fix our wives. Right, ladies? Okay. Making sure we're on the right page here. So here's some things not to do with, uh, with your conversation. Do not use conversation to get what you want. That's a manipulation tool. It'll be quite evident to your wife if she's smarter than you are relationally. If you're just trying to get sex, she's going to know that, and it's not going to work. And okay, Don't use conversation to punish each other. Especially, oh, this makes me so mad. Especially in a group. The number one need your man has is respect, and it infuriates me when a woman attacks her husband publicly. There's no excuse for that, ladies. You're attacking the foundation of who he is as a man. And you said you would love, honor, and cherish him, and that's none of those things. So stop it. Now, I'll back off of that. Guys, don't you use your words to punish your wife and bring up stuff. Never, never bring up problems, past problems, when you're trying to have conversation, unless you're saying... Here's the rules. We're going to talk about this problem. Then you talk about it. But you don't bring it up in casual conversation to punish somebody. Does that make sense? Here are some things you can do to help your conversation. Develop interest in each other's favorite topics. Balance the conversation. That means listen and don't fix. And uh, and, and guys, that means you you have to respond to her. Communication is only 7% words, 38% tone, and 55% expression. Guys, if you're like this... You failed, all right? So you have to say back to her some of the things that she said. And and guys, we can do this. Use conversation to inform, to investigate, and to understand. You you do this all the time when you're watching TV. What does the ESPN reporter do? They go to the person who's just won the championship and they say, how did you feel? And they ask about all of this stuff. What kind of preparation? And guys are glued to the TV for stuff that doesn't matter, if we could learn to be that interested in our wives, oh my goodness. Our marriages would become so transformed that people outside the church would go, I need, I need what you have in your marriage because I want a marriage like that. Okay, I forgot to do this. On the first one, men, rate yourself where you are on the affection scale. And ladies, you get to rate your man one to ten. Ten is they are king of affection. One is they suck. All right, and, and be honest because that's part of your homework. So rate yourself on this, men on conversation, and women, rate your husbands. Number three, my wife needs openness and honesty. And if you just want to cut that down, put trust. Your wife has a deep craving to know the innermost details of your life, and she has a right to know them. Because most of us in this room, we stood before God and promised before God and witnesses that we would be married to them for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death do us part. We made all kinds of forever promises that we didn't back up. She has a right because you said I do. She has a right to know who you are. If you don't open up and give her accurate information, then she won't trust you. Proverbs 26, 28 says, insincere talk brings nothing but ruin. Now, guys, I just got to ask you a quick question. Would you trust you? Okay, and, and I'm not gonna ask you to raise hands or anything, but, but I've asked men before, would you rather have a son or a daughter? And almost always they say son, and it has nothing to do with fishing and hunting and all of that stuff. It has to do with we know how young men think, and we don't want to commit murder when they come and try to date our daughters. And, and I'll tell you this. I, I would trade nothing for my daughters. I love my son. He's, he's awesome. God, God knew what, he, what I needed in a son when he gave me Caleb. And when those daughters came along, I fell in love with them. And I have this, this unbearable desire to love them and protect them from guys. Right? And why is that, guys? Why do we have that feeling? It's because we know us. And we wouldn't trust us with our daughters. That's the, that's the bottom line truth. We know how guys are. We know how guys think. And we don't trust us. Guys, where are you putting yourself in situations that if you were looking in from the outside, you'd say, there's nothing but trouble. He's laying the groundwork for trouble right there. Men do it all the time out of arrogance and stupidity. we got to put up protection around us. And, and <laughs> secret lives means separate lives. And and where you're keeping secrets from your wife, that means you're distancing yourself from her, and you're not experiencing everything that God wants you to have. And so we've got to we got to put up some some boundaries. And guys, do you know how to um, do you know how to rebuild trust? Is to live a godly life. There's not a woman in this room who would not follow a godly man. A man who's not thinks he's God, but knows his God and knows he needs to follow him in order to be the man he wants to be. Every woman in this room, I'm willing to bet, would follow a man like that. If she's not following you, most of the time, man, you look in the mirror and it's because we're not God's man. That's why she's not following. And so we've got to rebuild trust. The Bible says the two become one flesh. And when you're secret and when you're not honest, you're, you're laying the groundwork for disaster. So... We want to be honest, but remember this, guys. When she's talking about hairstyles and clothing and stuff like that, don't waste her the first time you see it. Janie and I talked about this years ago because, you know, I like a certain hairstyle and she could have it that way the rest of her life. And I know ladies get bored with that stuff and you're tired of looking at yourself in the mirror and all that stuff. I, I understand. You want cute clothes and all that. And guys don't even care about clothes. But, um, but here's the thing. She suggested that maybe you talk, To your spouse before you get a haircut before you do certain styles of clothing before you do that so that when when she comes when you come out ladies and and you're asking for his honest opinion because she said if she comes to me and says does my butt look big in this she wants me to tell her the truth. And so she said, actually, now I go to Rachel and I ask her so you don't have to be honest and you know, tell me that. I don't, I don't want to look bad. And so she's trying. But you understand what I'm saying. Don't waste her with your words. You can be tactful with your words. Men, rate yourself on your honesty. How trusted are you? Not just what, how honest you think you are. Rate yourself on how much your wife trusts you. Ladies, rate your man. Now, let's go to these last two quickly. My wife needs financial security. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, and this is is tough. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. The Bible says, if you are the husband, you're the provider of the home. It's your duty to provide for her financial needs. Now, it is not your duty to provide everything she wants, and that may be an issue that you have to deal with at another time, but it is your responsibility to provide for her needs. doesn't mean she can't work outside the home, none of that. You're supposed to be the primary um, provider. Proverbs 12.9 uh, says, Better to be ordinary and work for a living than act important and starve in the process. There is no job that is beneath me if my family needs food. There's no job beneath my dignity. If my family is hungry, I will take any job. And in fact, I have. I've swept floors before. Before we started this church, me and three guys who didn't speak English swept floors. This is the funniest thing you've ever seen. Couldn't communicate and they made fun of me. But I needed to put groceries on the table and the money had run out. And so I took a... a, Actually, it was an $8... Actually, $750 an hour job and I worked like a dog And the guy liked me, and so he paid me $9 an hour. And I felt blessed of God to get that extra money because we were dirt poor. But I had to put groceries on the table. Um, And when we first started the church, I mowed lawns like crazy. We still mow lawns, but now it's to provide some extras. It's not because we need groceries. When we started the church, we didn't have life insurance. We didn't have health insurance through the church. Church couldn't afford to pay us a paycheck, much less benefits. And so we paid for those things out of our pocket. And we worked like dogs to, to make it work because we felt like that's what God had called us to do. And, and the Bible says, I will not offer to God anything that costs me nothing. We live in a society here in East Texas that wants to offer God absolutely zero and expect the blessings of God. And it doesn't work like that. That's not God's math. God says, you need to give me something that costs you something and I will bless you beyond your wildest expectations. But we don't really trust God. We really don't believe that or we would live different lives. Uh, let me add this, this whole life insurance thing. I believe part of providing for your family means you need to have life insurance, men. And, and it's easy to get term and life insurance and it's cheap. And, and I've made sure all these years that if God takes me out of the picture that Janie and the kids are going to be set. She's not going to have to go to work. Because I believe we sacrifice so that she can have that. We've seen family members who didn't have that. And we've seen family members who struggled when the dad died or the husband died. And they had no life insurance. And they struggled the rest of their lives. And and I'm not going to have that. I don't believe that's what God has called me to do. I'm supposed to provide even in my death. And so guys, you need to look at that. Rate yourself in the area of finances, men and ladies. Rate your man. Number five. My wife needs emotional security. All right, guys, look here for just a second. This emotional security for your wife is a bigger deal to her than financial security. You may not believe that. You may think she wants money. No. 90% of the women surveyed for this book said they would gladly take a reduction in hours for their husband's work, reduction in salary, if it meant she and the children could have more of him. She doesn't want you to work yourself in the grave if it means you have to have a certain lifestyle. Ladies said they would give up homes and they would give up toys. They would give up things if they could have you. And then they were asked, does this rate higher than financial security? And the ladies said, yes, by an overwhelming margin. Men, they want you and your families want you. Now, for a woman, um, how do you do this? How do you provide emotional security? Number one is be faithful to my wife. Proverbs 6.32. One of the things I like about the Bible is it's so stinking honest. Look what it says in Proverbs 6.32. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. Bible doesn't hold any punches. Because you destroy your own soul. And so this is what I mean by putting up protection around you guys. You should never be in a car, in a house, in a room, in an office with somebody of the opposite sex to whom you are not married or related You do not counsel someone of the opposite sex. You don't listen to their problems because it's the conversation is the first step to adultery. And let's not call it an affair. An affair is what we call it so that it doesn't seem so bad. Adultery is what the Bible calls it. It's an abomination and a man who does it is a fool, is what Scripture says. You're destroying everything that God says is dear when you do that. And so you put up protection. You do not... Counsel someone of the opposite sex without their spouse present or your spouse present. In the ten years we've been at this church, one time have I counseled a woman who was who to whom I was not related, and it was it was just a few months ago. I was out there and I called James and I said, When are you going to be at the church? This lady needs to talk now. You are my babysitter, you're my accountability partner. So James sat back there at the computer, left the door open, and I said, before she got here, I said, You are to walk in here at random times and often and just make up reasons for coming out here because you're my account." And the only other times I've counseled someone, either Janie is present or their spouse is present because you're a fool if you think you can handle it. And any man thinks he can. It's pride. It's ego. And you're setting yourself up for a fall. And so I do not drive places with somebody who to whom I'm not related. That's of the opposite sex. We'll take separate cars and I'll have as many witnesses as possible. I want video surveillance And and honestly, there's there's two folks that I'm really concerned about pleasing with that. One is my Heavenly Father, and the other is my wife. I don't care what you think about that. I don't care if you think that's too harsh. That's the way it's going to be. Because I want to be pure before my Heavenly Father, and I want my wife to trust me always. There's no other woman for me. I told her that 21 years ago. I'm going to tell her that again. On May 25th, I still do. I'd still choose you. I'd go back and do it all again. You're the woman for me. Guys, we need to, we need to be forever type men. Second thing you do is you share the parenting responsibilities. Help with those children. You help make them. The, the real problem that I've had in youth ministry and, and even as a pastor with children is usually daddy-related there's a father hunger going on in our country because dad is so wrapped up in job that he's not at home to help with the parenting responsibilities. And that's the best thing, dudes, you can do is be home and and share, whip their little butts. They will not die. Scripture says that though you beat him with the rod, he will not die. And it doesn't mean beating repeatedly. But I learned this. I I put it to the test. I whipped my children. We were talking about this the other day and and Rachel would say she remembered. The biggest thing with Rachel, man, when she was little, I'd say, I'm going to spank you. She would just fall to pieces. It was about an hour and a half to two hour process to spank my daughter. And I would just be going, God, let her not mess up because I don't have two hours today. Because I would have to go in and I would tell her what she did wrong. I would tell her daddy loves her. I would swat her. And then I would have to hug her until she would finally do that. (sighs) And relax. You know what I'm talking about? It's your responsibility, dads, to be involved in that process. And love them and encourage them until they relax. Until your relationship is restored. They know when they've messed up. They know they deserve a spanking. And the worst thing we can do for them is withhold that from them. The discipline. And, and you may not be one who like who who believes in spanking. That's that's your right to be wrong. Um, uh, every every staff member that I've ever worked with who did not believe in spanking their kids were terrors. And and I would teach my kids. I would give them several weeks, and if they didn't settle down, I'd say take them out. And they would. You know, I'd go pick him up. And this happened with Caleb. I went to pick him up one day, and he's in timeout. And I said, what happened? And, and the, sun, the Sunday school teacher said, Caleb hit so-and-so. And I said, he did, you know. And I said, well, well, we'll deal with that. We walked the car, we're, you know, fist bumping. Because he had been attacking Rachel. This was the thing. This kid had been attacking Rachel, scratching her face, pulling her hair, pushing her down. And, and the parents, we talked to the parents. Parents didn't do anything about it. And Caleb was like a year older, and I said... Jack him up. And he's like, really? (laughs) Kid didn't jack with my daughter anymore, you know. Anyway. Godly families are not dysfunctional. Listen to this. If there is dysfunction in your family, it means somehow God has slipped from the top priority. Godly families are not dysfunctional families. And so you as the dad and as the mom, it's your responsibility to put God back first. When when I'm following God wholeheartedly, when Janie is following God wholeheartedly, there is nothing the devil can throw at us, this world can throw at us that we cannot handle. We've handled a lot, and we've cried a lot, and our hearts have felt like they were going to explode. But here we are, and and we wouldn't we wouldn't trade what we've gone through for anything, because God is faithful, and we want to be faithful to one another. So men. Rate your commitment to your family, ladies. Rate your man. Now, here, take out your list, uh, your uh, registration cards, very quickly. Got to finish. Fill it out, especially if you're a guest. Let us know um, your name and, and email address, things like that. On the back, I always ask you to do something. On the back, I'm going to ask you to make some commitments. First thing I'm going to I'm going to ask you to commit to is being here for the rest of this series. Not that I think that I know everything, but I have learned a few things through the years from observation. I've always been an observer. I observe what works and I observe what doesn't work even in my own life. And so through 29 years in ministry, I've done a lot of counseling. I've seen a lot of marriages fail. I've seen failing marriages be resurrected. If you want to be one of those, you've got to put some godly principles into, into practice. So be here. Second is to invite somebody else to come. Come. Third is to be teachable, to come and and be willing to listen to what God might have to say to you. Invite somebody who needs to be here with you. And then I'm just going to ask you to commit to being here on May 6th because I hope that that's that's a ceremony that Sunday morning that changes your destiny as a married couple. Now, I want you to put down, the other thing on the back, put down what you rated highest in and what you rated lowest in. We're not going to get all caught up in how good we are, but we're going to look at the areas we need to work on.